a little briefing on like what is high performance? I think high performance for me is is bringing your best self and delivering div- delivering amazing care yeah. any time of day or night. Aren't we always performing highly? Um, I want to know, you know, aren't we always performing highly? We work in emergency or we work in pre-hospital or we're paramedics or nurses um, or yeah. we're doctors. I think the answer is we aspire to it, but we don't always do it. Welcome to the ED Gym. Welcome to an awesome Monday morning. Um, I am chatting uh, to Jamie, uh, Jamie Moran. Dude, welcome to the podcast, bro. Welcome to the EDGM podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. I, I listen to it a lot and you've done awesome work. So thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, dude. Um, I actually heard about you. I worked with a fellow colleague, Abs. This is for you, brother. Uh, and we're working together and he's like, dude, you got to meet my mate, Jamie. We had a phone call probably a couple of weeks later, which went on for about an hour. We were chatting back and forth. Uh, and dude, your um, energy level and your excitement is infectious. And after the conversation, I actually messaged Abs. I'm like, bro, this guy's awesome. Uh, and I'm so happy to have you on, bro. So oh, thank thanks, you. man. Abs, Abs is great. He's a, he's an awesome human being. So yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm really glad he put me forward. So yeah, I, energy is a good thing, dude. Um, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I don't always get it right. So I'm not sure my colleagues always appreciate my uh, Labrador enthusiasm, but I do my best. <laughs> oh, I'm the same, dude. I come into a room pretty amped up and there's a couple of times yeah. when people like tone it down a bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. yeah. I find coffee helps. Do you find that? Chills oh, out, dude. <laughs> I'm on three shots already this morning. So yeah. I don't know if, yeah, if, you, if you can't have coffee. I always get worried when someone says they don't drink coffee. I get a bit concerned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. Um, now, topic-wise, dude, we're talking about high performance in trauma and critical care. Um Run me through, we're going to get into who you are, um, but why the topic? Why high performance? There's so many topics. We'll get into who you are and what you do, um, but why are we talking about high performance stuff in critical care and trauma? Yeah, man, I, I, I love it. I love the concept of high performance, and I guess, you know, it, 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 high performance is kind of aspirational. You know, it's not, it's not elitist. It's not saying when you're, when you're aiming for high performance, you've got to be at this level, but I think high performance essentially is the, is, is that kind of, flow state that we talk about in in resuscitation you know it's the high performance where you've got a team of passionate enthusiastic skilled people working together whatever comes through the door you know delivering amazing care and and i think within that it it takes in human factors it takes in calmness under pressure uh, to deliver meaningful interventions in trauma And, and and whether it's trauma or resuscitation you know, a lot of these people talk about sort of world-class basics or performing under pressure that mm. a lot of the time it's some really simple interventions that can have a huge out- outcome, a difference in outcome. So something as simple as getting a cannula in, you know, that can be mm. a really challenging thing. You know, if the patient's agitated or the patient's bleeding, you know, it can be a really tricky intervention. So you want to put your, your most skilled person onto that. You know, you can't really do much unless you can deliver blood, you know, analgesia, all that kind of stuff. So high performance is something that, I've been lucky enough to work in some really high performance teams. Um, just putting it out there, I don't, I don't see myself as high performance. I aspire to it. Mm. Funny enough, I give this talk to the registrars, and the last time I was practicing it, uh, I was actually at the wrong hospital. No <laughs> so way! I got, I got there half an hour early, and uh, it's yeah. quite impressive because there's only two hospitals in Darwin, so that was pretty impressive. So, <laughs> uh, my colleague turned up and said, "What are you doing here?" I was like, "Oh no." super organized it's obviously me that was in the one place so turned up late to the talk so i'm clearly not uh, i'm clearly not a, a good advocate uh, but i i think it's something that i think it's something really important because you know i think you can talk about it in so many different levels that we'll talk mm. about so there's that aspect of, of 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 delivering meaningful interventions and doing stuff really really well day in day out in those really critical care uh high stakes interventions Mm. but it's also it's also from a whole department level you know it's like you can't just focus on one aspect you know you've also got to be there for the you know those frequent attenders those people that are coming into hospital because they're scared or Mm. because they have chaotic lives or 
you know, and we can talk about that a little bit later. And it's those interventions where you show empathy and compassion. You know, it's those those times where, you know, an elderly patient will come in with no relatives and it's how you, you know, you show them a bit of love and, you know, you know, just 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 look after them. And, you know, and it's also I think I was really lucky when I was working for a particular service in the UK. It's like you, you bring an energy and you bring a pride and you bring a, uh, a professionalism to every job. So if you get called out to a job and it's not like, you know, patients sort of dying in front of you, it doesn't matter. You know, the yeah. crew's called you for a reason. The patient needs you for a reason. So you bring that same energy to every interaction. And, you know, I'm still still on that journey, man. I'm only, you know, I, I've still got a long way to go. But mm. I love I love the concept of of delivering that, you know, um, that high performance, delivering that energy, delivering that skill. Um, and it's something that I think is so crucial because, mm. you know, there's a lot of stuff around human factors, but the the ability to do that, um, it really requires a huge culture. It requires good leadership. It requires awesome people. And I think if you have, if you have those components, which we're really lucky to have up in Darwin, then you can deliver amazing care. Uh, and it makes everyone feel good. It's not just the patient outcome, but it's remembering there's a patient at the end of that, yeah. remembering that it's someone loved one, you know? So you have to bring your best every yeah. single interaction. And, you know, and I think as a leader, it, you know, like whether I like it or not, as a boss, I'm a leader, you know, I've got yeah. to that stage, take yeah. it a long time and people kind of look up to you and, yeah. and it's your responsibility as a mentor and as a leader to, to bring a calmness. And, you know, I have this Labrador enthusiasm. I'm all over the place. It's really yeah. funny when the juniors start, They'll start laughing because they'll ask me a question. I'll bugger off and do something else. And they're following around the department <laughs> and all the registrars are laughing. I just grab him. He'll stop and talk to you, you know, but yeah. that's, that's what it's like. But I think, you know, ultimately it, it's, it's being able to bring that calmness. It's being yep. able to bring authenticity. You know, I, I, I wouldn't ask any of the staff to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And then there are moments where patients are really sick or if it's going to be a really challenging airway or whatever, then I'll step up and do it, you know, and that's, that's hard because, you know, you're not you're not in an environment where you're doing these interventions all the time, particularly when you're a boss. So, you know, it's like being a player manager. It's like, you know, football analogy. It's like Pep Guardiola, like managing this amazing team and then having to step in and take a penalty in the yeah. you know, championship final. And that's that's really challenging. And that's something that I really love. But it's something that I uh, I, I really enjoy. I love mm. trying to bring the best out of people. I love um seeing people come through but ultimately you know the bottom line is it's down to patient outcome it's making it's making sure that you deliver amazing care to everyone that needs it wherever they are so yeah that's why we're talking about it, i guess oh dude, and it's awesome too because i think we've seen the shift in resuscitation over the over the you know a few years where we've sort of seen you know we, we want to provide you know it was all about up-to-date evidence you know this is what we're going to do in critical care this is yeah, what we're yeah. going to do in, in trauma and we've also yeah. seen that like you can have all that knowledge but a human factor or a way in which you deliver that information can actually yeah. get impeded due to different, you know, avenues or different ways things can get blocked or information cannot be heard. And that actually affects patient outcomes. And so we've started to think almost in maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a bit of a business mentality around sometimes this high performance stuff about, you know, it's not only what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. Um, it's not only what you know, but it's what you do with what you know. Yeah, uh, I think it's really important because that's coming into the critical care space. And I think it's really good. And I can see the benefits um, when people can actually implement this stuff day to day. We're going to talk about who you are, dude. We'll talk about, you know, your definition of high performance. Just for people out there listening, we're going to talk about your components of high performance. We're going to break it down in sort of four things that are super important. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, staying calm. Some of those things that are really important, especially in high stress environments. Um, we're also going to talk a bit about where you've applied this in your clinical practice, which is what I love, how do people have applied this stuff? Um, so dude, who are you for people listening? They've just, you know, listened to a little bit of a spiel on high performance stuff. Who are you, bro? Uh, and what do you do? Yeah, I'm someone that talks a lot. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm an emergency medicine specialist up in Darwin. So um, I, I've been here about four years, got a, a passion for sort of, education trauma critical care mm. and i love pre-hospital so um part of my job up here is also i'm a med medical retrieval consultant with carefly up here um so i do a few shifts a month with them uh, both uh, as an mrc and uh, doing occasional flying shifts uh, and also part of helping out with the education with the new registrars that come through um i've also been working with saint john ambulance here and a, a really amazing yeah. uh colleague called paul reeves i just put him out there as well a bit like abs you should definitely get him on uh, awesome. he's uh, 
he's an amazing paramedic uh, colleague of mine that works at uh, CDU um, and we do a bit of work together and then there's a few of the other ICPs, uh, intensive care paramedics who are training for RSI and there's a few that are signed off who are amazing human beings who are just brilliant. So just doing a bit of work unofficially um, with those guys just to sort of um, see what we can deliver in the sort of uh, uh, pre-hospital space in Darwin. So that's really exciting to be part of that. Um, prior to that, uh, I was in Sydney, so working with Sydney Hems. So I was really lucky to work with some, you know, amazing people like, um, you know, Cliff Reed that you've had on and Jeff mm. Healy and Carol and those awesome guys, Alex Tazanes and uh, Chris Partica, just so many amazing people down there. So really lucky to to work with all those guys uh claire richmond some brilliant people um so yeah uh and then before that uk so all my career uk really so i was consulting in the uk for a little bit working around london and out, you know birmingham plymouth manchester mm. that kind of stuff um and uh pre-hospital uk so i was really lucky to my first pre-hospital gig properly was with uh, London Hem. So oh, bro. Um, did sort of seven minutes, seven months with them. Seven minutes. <laughs> it feels like seven minutes, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doing a lot in seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. mainly talking. Yeah, <laughs> nah. yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, did uh, work with, with those guys. And then Essex and Hearts, another amazing organisation. And just being around the Royal London and some great hospitals like Newham and some great, you know, just, just seeing high performance every day, you know, like the NHS, I guess sometimes gets a bit maligned, but they think the NHS is a beautiful thing because it's high performance people just doing amazing stuff day in, day out, you know, yeah. with, you know, under huge pressure. So some brilliant, brilliant people. So mm. yeah. Um, why the draw to Australia, bro? Like you, you know, you've, you, you worked in London Hems, like it's a pretty yeah. sought after, you know, job you've come across yeah. to not, not only parts of Australia, but a pretty hot part of Oz. What drew yeah. you to, to, you know, come to Australia? Yeah, just that, I guess the excitement, there's always been, there's always been like my, my dad lived in Australia for a little while and his stories always inspired me as a little kid and he actually lived in Sydney and Melbourne and, and I, one of the big draws was to come and follow in his footsteps really. He actually came on the boat uh, when he came because flying was reserved for like, you know, the super elite. So it took yeah. him 42, 42 days to get here on the boat. No way. Um, and it was quite nice when I was in Sydney. I went to find his old house in um, Edgecliff in a place called Sutty Road. And yeah. Uh, did a little video for him, which was quite moving. So that was cool. And uh, yeah, so the, the draw, but also, I guess, you know, work with a lot of in the pre-hospital sphere, work with some amazing sort of pre-hospital people like, you know, Chris Greenbridge, um, various other, you know, uh, you know, aw awesome people who mm. have worked in Sydney Hands and worked in Australia. And um, I think certainly in the UK, we we aspire to to the... Australian emergency medicine training and so our training in the UK is really similar yeah and I just yeah just adventure you know I think Cliff Reed talks about it a lot you know taking yourself out of your comfort zone I think it's mm. really important I, I love the UK really loved London really loved everything I was doing got amazing friends my family all there but I think you know you want to use your skills and training and I wanted to come somewhere that was different and Darwin's certainly different and I also wanted to work somewhere where you kind of really needed and you know i think it's darwin's a beautiful beautiful place um an amazing place and you know but a huge amount of challenges in the healthcare sphere you know we've we've got some of the highest levels of uh, alcohol associated issues in in australia we did a little study on e-scooter injuries recently and we found that 50 percent of our patients were intoxicated which was higher than any studies around the world up until that point um wow and we have some of the highest, sadly, some of the highest levels of domestic violence. Uh, there's a lot of health inequality. Um, around 30% of our patients are First Nations, which is amazing. Um, but there's a high proportion within the healthcare service that, that need our help. So, and that's what's kept me here. You know, it's been really nice. You know, it's been really nice being part of that. You know, we've got amazing nurses. Like, you know, the nice thing is with all the different things I do is that you see inspirational, passionate, enthusiastic people, whether it's with St. John, whether it's with CareFlight, whether it's mm. with the hospital, whether it's in the community, you see people that really want to make a difference here. And, and I think, you know, from a trauma perspective, um, someone was telling me, and this is not fact check, right? So, yep. you know, before you get loads of emails, but someone told me that, you know, for, for a relatively small 
population we're like what 250,000 in the whole of the NT and maybe Darwin's mm. maybe 150 to 180 but we see more trauma or as much trauma as the Liverpool in Sydney you know yeah. we see something like uh, you know 60 times the level per, uh, per capita of trauma um, in the rest of Australia so you know that's why coming back to the high performance thing it's something we need to be really good at mm. and something we need to be really good at and and you know when you talk about you know marginal gains or you talk about high impact stuff you know a lot of people talk about you know the exciting stuff like Reboa, ECMO and all these kind of things but actually it's really about doing that it's doing the basics really well so i'm, I'm working on i'm gonna you know come in and, and someone says oh, i heard this guy jamie talk about high performance what would be your little spiel a little briefing on like what is high performance from jamie <laughs> not anyone else's i don't want to i don't want to know what yeah. this person says this person says for you as it, uh, yourself what would you say it is yeah, man. Great question. And brevity is my middle name, so I'll be super brief. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I, I think I think high performance for me is is bringing your best self and delivering div- delivering amazing care any time of day or night. Because look, I said before, it's aspirational, right? And of course, there are days where you don't have, where you're not yourself, where you're mm. you're feeling tired. Quite, you know, I'm always exhausted. You know, I'm always you know doing late shifts and always you know doing other stuff and yeah. just generally just being the energy I have, I'm always exhausted, but you, you step into that role when you come to work. It's like putting on, it's like being an actor, right? Or, mm. you know, you sort of turn up and you bring your best self, but you know, clearly there are times when that energy is not the same or you're stressed or you've had a really challenging thing, but the high performance is the team around you that can can carry everyone. You know, it's like our, our job is a team sport and it requires everybody within that. And so you can aspire to bring your best self and that's amazing. And that in itself is high performance, but, um, Equally, you know, we don't always bring that. And equally high performance is having a team around you that allows for that. I think it's quite rare, man, as well, because, you know, to being excellent is impossible. Well, for me, it's impossible because I've never been excellent in anything, you know, but I, I've been in environments where they really push that concept of excellence. But it's it's almost, it's like a, it's, it's an unachievable thing. It's like yeah. Lord of the Rings, you know, you can spend years getting there and, you know, it, it, it's, 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 not, it's not an aspirational thing. But what you can do is you can take those small wins, which are big wins, you know, for me, sometimes, you know, examples of high performance, you'll, you'll, you'll be tasked to a patient that you know is really, really sick. And when you arrive, you know, the chance of them surviving is probably pretty low. But, you know, you've flown in there in a helicopter, or you've driven there in a response vehicle, or you've gone there and there's like 20, 30 people on scene, relatives, loved ones, all that kind of stuff. And that moment is recognizing that that's a human there at the end of all of that. Mm-hmm. And they've got, and if that you might be the last face they ever see. So you're allowed to lie in those moments. You look them in the eye and put a hand on their shoulder and tell them that you've got it. They're going to be all right. That is mm-hmm. high performance, you know? And times when you don't do that is, is, is not good and it haunts you. And I think getting back to that high performance stuff, the times which I've been part of where, the, where it doesn't go well, you know, those kind of things where you walk away going, oh man, if only we'd done this, or if only I'd been a bit better at this, or what if I'd done this, then, you know, those things haunt you. We can talk about some of those cases later. They they haunt you for the rest of your career. So the wins with high performance is, is also just really, for me, what I see in our job in ED and also in pre-hospital is we bring structure and organization to inherently something that's super chaotic, right? And I kind of like it, you know, and you get, you, you know, I had a couple of times when I had a few months off and come back, oh my God, would I still, would I still love work? And you walk in and it's like, it's like walking into a screen, right? You never walk into <laughs> ED and it's never like, oh, I might just have a cup of tea at the start of this shift. You, you walk in, it's like, eh! yeah, everyone's <laughs> looking at you, but you go, actually, I like that. And you go and you find and you work and you yeah. walk around and you, you know, whether it's painkillers for somebody or having a five minute chat with somebody and allaying yeah. their fears or whatever, that's, you know, that's what we do. And so I think the wins are when you bring that structure and, and organization to, 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 to a situation. Those, those are things that you can be really proud of. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, some components that you've raised of what high performance is. You've kind of got four, you've got a couple other things, but four big ones I was sort of reading that you put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so people listening have said, all right, I've listened to Jamie talk. I think I want to bring it. I think I want to turn up to my shift and irrespective if I get, you know, the nana from ambulance or I get a big trauma, I want to bring the best part of myself to work. I want to do the best that I can. I want to be aware of the team and I want to bring 
the team to its best sort of, you know, able to bring the best part of our team together to work together. What are those components of high performance um, that we're going to talk through today? I think people and culture, um, the things that you bring um, as an individual are, are really important. I think world-class basics, you know, being authentic, I think is really important. You know, like people look up to you and people won't follow you unless they know that, you know, you're the real deal. And authentic can mean lots of different things, but I think it's kind of being yourself. But I think the authenticity thing is really important. You you, you need to be the real deal and, and to... To get to that level takes a huge amount of work, whatever sphere you're in, to become, you know, an amazing resource nurse, to become mm. an amazing pre-hospital, you know, uh, nurse or paramedic or, you know, whatever sphere you're in it takes years and years and years of training and purposeful practice to get to that point. So as an individual, you have a responsibility to be current, to be, to keep pushing yourself, to keep up to date, to keep that thirst and energy and drive for wanting to be better. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jamie. I guess, you know, culture you raise first of all. Why is culture so important when it comes to high performance? You can't have high performance without the right culture. You need people around you that also want to bring that. And I think, you know, we all work in amazing places. We're all yeah. really lucky. I think I think that's one of the lovely things, like with your podcast, man. You, you know, you, it's a small world, right? And the same people work in ED, and I've, I've been lucky to work in loads of different EDs. And I'm always blown away that there's always fantastic people working there. And it's the same in all hospital cultures. And I think it's because it is, it's a tough place to work. You know, it's yeah. stressful, it's high stakes, it's loud, it's noisy. It's, you know, it's, you know, you'd, you'd be coming towards the end of your shift and then something huge comes through the door. So, you know, but it's that energy and drive and people that are always wanting to push themselves and learn and be better, you know, mm. and I think it's so that culture, but within that culture, that's really important is, um, learning from mistakes, I think that's really important. And I've spent a whole lifetime making mistakes, but equally, you know, I think there's a lot of learning to come from that. You know, you learn from failure and, and equally, you know, high performance is also those things when they do go really well, it's just moving forward, you know, not mm. resting on that that concept, but learning from, from situations where things haven't gone to plan and, and, and things you can do different the next time, I think is really important, but also a culture that allows you to express that and a culture that allows you to be honest. And I think honesty is key. You know, there's no hiding place, really. You yeah. know, if you're particularly, you know, in the pre-hospital environment, quite often you're working in a team of two or three. So, you know, there's no hiding place if, if the intubation doesn't go well or if you know that certain interventions don't go well there's no there's no one else you can rely on you've got to as a team work out um you know what what went wrong you know whether it's the human factors thing whether it's the pressure of the moment whether it's you know um we talk about airway management later but you know whether the patient was optimally positioned mm. whether you were in a good position you know all of those different factors that come into it but a high performance team is able to critique and look at every aspect of the job and talk about it and and make sure that the next time you go in there things are a little bit different i love what jamie was talking about in relation to people and culture while i was editing this episode i was looking at and thinking about all the people that i worked with in ed uh, and how much i love hanging out with them that i'd hang out with them even outside of work uh, and that people in ed really make it so good even when the environment's crazy the people that you work with are just amazing and they really create that culture Sort of made me think a little bit about what culture I'm bringing when I come to work. Um, a bit of a reflection. Maybe, you know, you can think about that when you come to work. What culture you bring into your workplace? Um, yeah. Can you change a culture? Can you, if there is a culture of being rude, if there is a culture of other practice, how does Jamie bring a culture that is sort of like, hey, I've noticed this? Or, or what do you do in that? Because culture is huge. Culture is a, a big deal. You know, how people hold themselves, what people talk about um yeah yeah that's a great question man and i think uh again i i'm just learning this i don't think i know the answer fully no. and i think quite often you know sometimes things do seem a bit overwhelming when there's loads of things that you want to sort of influence i guess but yeah. i think really it's that kind of nudge theory it's doing bit by bit and the things that you can control are your energy and your attitude so i think if you always remember that you are uh, a role model, you know, as a leader, as a senior person in ED. And I think, you know, you, you, you sort of behave in a way that you you want to behave. That's mm. being, you know, that is being that even under extreme duress, that you're still polite 
something that we're trying to bring into. We're not so good in ED just because it's like amazing people and they're brilliant, but it's so busy. And obviously resources normally fall and often yeah. up here, you know, the, the, the departments to capacity, but it's trying to make people realize and recognize that training underpins everything we do. So, you know, we've been really lucky. We've been able to start this thing called half hour hits, which is where we, and again, this is all this stuff that I'm talking about today. I know lots of other people are much more expert than me and been doing this That's for right. a long time, but, but this is something that we've sort of brought in, which is just half an hour of combined nurse training in the morning yeah. where we just look through simple things like, you know, patient coming in in cardiac arrest, where are we going to stand? Uh, patient coming in with chest pain what are the interventions we're going to do and we're gradually building up and building it up so it becomes second nature then bringing doctors involved and then bringing the pre-hospital teams involved so we really practice and rehearse and i think that's that's a real key thing mm. um long-winded answer to how you change culture i think i think it's it requires lots of people with the same drive and energy you know i don't put it out there that you're you know, like, <laughs> like for me, like the energy thing, you know, that I don't, that I'm not annoyingly high energy that I, I obviously am, but yeah. that, that concept of, you know, being, I think being humble, mm. I think being endlessly curious, uh, being caring, being compassionate. And I really want to know about point three, mate, world-class basics. What is that? The concept of world-class basics was actually uh, a rugby coach, Ian McGeekin, who was an ex-British Lions rugby player and then British Lions coach. And he talks about, you know, delivering that kick or that pass in a crucial moment of a, of a championship match, you know, when you've, you know, the team's, you know, looking at may, maybe beating a team they haven't beaten for 30 years and it's that single pass or play yep. uh, that's something that they do in training, you know, hundreds of times a week, but actually delivering that pass in the crucial moment or that, that critical drop goal. And, you know, in resuscitation, it's no different. You know, a mm. lot of the time, if you pair it back, um, really... There are some key interventions, you know, mm. there's, um, there's a great anaesthetist, uh, Ken Harrison, who works down in uh, Sydney, who's done a lot of stuff teaching with, with care flight and various other things. And is really an architect of pre-hospital. And he talks about mm. in simple terms, um, you know, blood goes round and round, oxygen goes in and out. And any, any disruption of those two things is a bad thing. And, yes. you know, quite often we, you know, quite often it is a really simple intervention that we need to do, but, you know, it's delivering that in the stress of the moments, delivering that when you're, at a multi-vehicle collision when there's maybe three or four patients that need attention and there's only a team of, you know, a crew of two or, you know, or it's going to that really sick patient that has just been stabbed in the chest and they arrest on you, you know, or, you know, in, in the UK, sadly, we would go to, to patients who've been, you know, uh, fallen under or, or jumped or pushed or whatever under their underground train who's under an underground train and, you know, who really is critically unwell and needs those interventions, how you deliver those in those moments. And, um, I think for me, you know, in, in recess, it's no, no different. Cliff Reed talks about the zero point survey. I think mm -hmm. uh, Claire Richmond and him um, were the, the people that created that concept. But it's, you know, in really that human factors, it's been around a long time. And it's when you get that bat phone. Do you have bat phones in Sydney? Yep. We have a yep. bat phone. Yeah. So uh, do you call it bat phone? I don't know. Yeah, Scott, we still we call, call it bat phone. It. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite I love funny. It. It's great. So our, we, our old one at St George used to be actually uh like actually look like a, the actual bat phone from Batman. I did it. Yeah, yeah. Ours too. Ours got a little bat on it. It's quite yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, so you know when that goes off, it, it, it's it's how do you prepare? You know, and so for me, it's really simple. It, it's getting the team standing in the right place. So it's making mm. sure that that person on the two people on airway, your airway nurse and your uh, interventionist, uh, plus or minus someone really senior and, ex mm. and experienced to stand over their shoulder uh, unless, you know, it's really, really sick airway trauma that would need that expertise straight off. Um, but it's not only just standing in the right position, but having everything ready. So thinking about your plan ABC, having all your airway adjuncts, thinking about your vortex, you know, thinking about how you're going to, how you're going to approach that airway even to the point of maybe if you need to front of neck access and having mm. that in your mind that that's what you're going to move to. Mm. Um, it's the person doing access. And so, you don't just give the poor person that's like week one recess, you know, to do the cannula in the most stressful situation they've ever been in. That yep. needs to be the most skilled person, the most experienced person. And not only that, if it's a, you know, like a code crimson or a red blanket or whatever the term is for that critically bleeding patient, it's having someone ready with, you know, uh, with the IO to do a humoral IO, 
the sternal IO, if that's what your department uses, or your trauma line to do a subclavian trauma line, having everyone prepped and ready and making sure those people in the team, it's the only thing they need to focus on is getting access and making sure that happens. Because without access, you can't deliver blood products. You can't deliver anesthesia. You can't really do much. I mean, you can, you can do IM and all that, but ideally that's a really key thing. It's also in, in whether it's cardiac arrest. So we, we talk about the coach and now the coached red, having the ultrasound in that algorithm. It's having the person doing the ultrasound ready and waiting. So gowned up, ready with the probe, gelled up, ready to go. So for example, there'd be times where there's a central stabbing and that patient's alive. The only thing you really want to know is does that patient have cardiac tamponade? So your gold standard intervention is the ultrasound because that is 100% sensitive, you know, specific for tamponade. Bang, stick the probe on, you know, patient's alive. Then, you know, you know, if that patient, ideally, if they've been, if that's a stab room, they're going up to theatre, right? And and you're going with them, but you're going up to theatre. And if they rest on you at that stage, that's when you know you're going to have to perform an ED thoracotomy. So it's having everything prepped and ready and everyone, you know, in and, and ideally when all of that happens, you become in like a flow state. So, you know, whether you're the team leader or whatever, there's very little you need to do. And it's the same as, you know, because the team's so organized and skilled and that's really what high performance is that all of these happen, all of these things happen really well. And quite often what I like to do is is um, give a little target. So if I'm mentoring one of the senior regs or if I'm there leading, I'll go, right, guys, uh, we want to be in scan in 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, quite, and sometimes we get there, sometimes it's 20, sometimes it's longer, but giving a little target so that everyone's working towards something and mm. keeping that inertia going. Um, the other thing is quite often you notice that when the release happens, it's really noisy, right? And it's great because yeah. everyone's talking really important stuff. But for me, I'll just go, guys, can we just keep the noise down? You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be aware of it. No, no. You know, can we just, it's great what you're saying, just noise down, you know? And then at those crucial times, so say, for example, you know, the chest is decompressed or, you know, you've got an isolated head injury and you need to do that really smooth RSI. There are times you go, right, guys, the only voices we're going to hear is the person doing the intubation and, you know, the airway nurse and whoever it is in that little team of two. And we'll just keep an eye on because that that time that that's really important for them to be task focused and be talking through what they're seeing. And at any point, you need to know when to step in. And it's no different in pre-hospital, you know, the amount of times you turn turn up on scenes and more often than not, the crews are doing an amazing job, right? And so quite often, you know, in cardiac arrest and stuff, and the guys up here are phenomenal, you know, the the guys that do, you know, the, the sort of ICPs when it comes to cardiac arrest and stuff, they've, they'll turn up and quite often they've got bilateral humoral IOs in, there's an eye gel in, there's, you know, there's, there's the fluids, they've shot, they're, they're on a, an auto automated CPR, very little you need to do, you know, mm-hmm. and you just go, other than guys, great job. And you yep. can just step in and that's where you can bring in other stuff. Maybe the ultrasound might help mm. or decompress the chest or whatever. So that high performance team, you, there's very little you need to do because they're already performing in a mm. really good way. But it's if you haven't got this stuff down check, which we'll talk about those four things you sort of raised, yeah. um, you can either overdo it. Like it's like music. You can overplay. You know, if you mm. play in a band and, and you play guitar, you can overplay the guitar. You can overplay the bass. You can overplay the drums. You can overplay the vocals. Yeah. But yeah. if you in tune with other people, you're like, hey, I don't actually need to play right now. They're the good musos, yeah. the ones that know yeah, when yeah. to play. That's my that's my vibe. Uh, yeah. If you play a good muso, they're just like, man, I don't need to feel that. That that gap's cool. That's but amazing. We can step into those environments. There's times when you got to get control. I think what you raise and it's good, like you know, like the sterile yeah. cockpit. You know, when you're flying, you go under that yeah. ten thousand feet. There's yeah. no talking. You know, only the essential talk. But I think what you raise and it's good, like you know, you can step into multi different environments. It's knowing how to work in that team, gel in that team, because yeah. every shift or every situation could be different. You know, I think it's important to know yourself and to know what you do bring so that when you do have a team, you know, for good example, to bring it back to sport, like I'm a defender in, in football, soccer. Yeah. And I yeah. know that if you put me in front of goals to take a penalty, I'll miss. I just know. I'll yeah. miss. Yeah. But if you ask me to defend when there's three minutes left and we're one up yeah. and yeah. we're going to win, I will save goals. I know it. Cause that's what I, I can read. I can read the play. It's not to be cocky. It's like, I know where I know my position as a fullback. Yeah. Um, and I think what you raise then to is good, like training and knowledge. Like you've just not only iterated why people and culture are important, but you've iterated why training and knowledge are important because you know, when we're in stressful environments, we're going to stoop to the level of our training. If our training's really good, then we're going to go, Oh, hang on. I did a sim like this on the seizures. I'm just giving example, patients vomit, you know, oh, okay, I'll do this, you know, and you, you, you go back to what you were trained like and you work yeah. together and you're like, hang on, I've done this before. I know what to do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really cool. Um, the question I want to raise is like in, in, in an environment where teaching is so important, like medicine and nursing and in paramedicine, do you put your best team on all the time? Like I know you, you people have got to learn where's the space yeah. for in this um, with high performance or do you just make ensure that you have someone who has that knowledge doing the teaching? So a good example, if it's someone's first tube, you've got someone standing by who knows how, what to do. I'm just giving you an example. Or if it's someone putting a line in that, you know, there's always times to learn, but should it be not in that really stressful environment? Maybe one that's like 70% stressful. Yeah. And no, I think that's a really good, that's a really good, um, really good point, man. And I think that analogy is, you know, I think, there are times when, when you've always got to remember really that, you know, it's about patient outcome and it's about that patient in front of you, that someone's loved one, that's someone's relative, that's, a, you know, someone's kid, you know, that's, we've got to bring our best self to that. So there are certain situations where you're absolutely right, where it's not appropriate to, for it to, to teach. However, I think, for example, if we talk about intubation, I think with video laryngoscopy, yeah. I think that has definitely changed the, the 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 teaching environment a little bit. But back when I was learning, um, when we didn't have video laryngoscopy, apart from quite rarely, um, you know, you were really reliant on what the person was saying they could see. You mm-hmm. know, whereas now with the screen, you can see exactly what they can see, and that means that you can, you know, take them through um you know positioning and going yeah just move your hand in that way or you've got you know just move the move the, the slide it in a bit more you're in the follicular lift up or you know for example um you know sometimes you might want to go uh, underneath the epiglottis and lift it like you would with a pd tube you know there's lots of different ways of doing intubation and so but it is really important that in that moment that it is a very skilled operator standing over the shoulder of that person yeah. whatever that means so for example in, in ed it might be that you know we have two consultants one consultant purely standing with the registrar taken through the airway, or it might be, you know, uh, that we have one of our consultant anaesthetists or ICU consultants who are standing, you know, being like the second operator but talking them through. As long as they have that talk and that spiel, uh, it also depends on, you know, how many interventions or how confident that person is. I think if, you know, you're going to be doing your first intubation, it's probably not a good environment to do it when it's, you know, like even if it's a not super tricky airway i mean all ed airways are tricky it can have a huge impact on someone if it doesn't go well so i think you know you need that that's why it's so good for people to um to go through anesthetics and go through theaters to at the beginning because it's really important to learn that really important structure and safety and skill Mm. when it comes into that environment of resus clearly there are times where there's a huge amount of learning um in those stressful moments so you can have some really good learning but equally um, you've got to balance that with the stress of the situation and the need for that intervention. So it yeah. just depends on certain situations. And as a as a as, as a boss standing and doing it or being with the person that's knowing when to intervene, and so I don't always get that right. No, uh, you know, um, it's hard. I was going to say, can you have too many high performance people in a room? Like, let's be honest. I've I've been into and I, you've been into way more resources than me, but I've been into a couple of resources where I felt like not being rude. There were too many. I had messy. I had. You know, yeah. you feel me? Like I had, yeah. You know, I had Mbappe. I had you know Ronaldo. Yeah. When yeah. in that environment, I just needed one. And I'm being yeah. rude. Like in my team, yeah. I needed that one person. Yeah. And yeah. maybe there could have been other tasks. And I, and I think it's having the knowledge. Like that. That's some people are really aware. Like some people will walk in, look at the room, and go. They'll ask the question, "Hey, you guys, are you cool? Do you want me to hang around?" No, we're good. And that's actually really powerful watching someone do that because yeah. they're they're not. They're just um, it's it, it's actually really strong. It's basically saying you guys have got it sorted. I'll go back into acute, or if it's a different environment, it might be like, are you okay with that? Yep, I've done you know twelve intubations before, or twenty, or thirty, three hundred, whatever. I'm feel pretty confident. No worries. I'm just here if you need me. I'm next door. I love that sort of stuff. Like just that awareness of like giving the person confidence in their skill, but also letting them know that you're around if they need you. And I think that's really part of that teamwork um in that framework. You raised something yeah, about um being ready for your shift. You said you you know you're going to work and how do people you know we go into an environment that we know it's going to be stressful. Um, mm-hmm. I I know what I do. Um, but what would you give advice to people? How would you give people advice in terms of preparing for their shift? Um, to to be high performance ready going into a stressful environment. How do we? Um, you mentioned about mental drilling or mentally preparing. Yeah. How yeah. how else would you? What else would you do? I think well I think. 
I think it's just, it's being able to sort of kind of visualize a little bit about the shift, which is the mental preparing. It's also how you sort of carry yourself. So, you know, there are times it's inevitable that you're going to be tired. You know, if you've been on call, if you've been doing night shifts, you know, um, lucky I don't do anywhere near, well, I don't really do any night shifts anymore, apart from my care package, I'm really lucky. So so I'm not going to, but I did do 15 years of nights. So I don't feel too bad. But, um, oh, time, bro. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, there are times when it's, it is, you know, you're going to be tired and, but, you know, one of my bosses here, you know, Didier, who's an amazing leader, he, he said that, you know, you guys are leaders, whether you like it or not. You're in a position of leadership as, as senior people, whatever, whether you're a senior nurse or senior doctor, whatever, people look up to you. And, and that energy that you bring to the shift carries down to everyone else. So if you bring a negative energy, then that's going to filter down to everyone. So I think for me, that's one of the key things that I you know, I try and make people feel good. I try and make people feel energized for the shift. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's how you start your day. So try, you know, try not, you know, make sure you're not hungover, particularly, you know, and I've learned that the hard way that the times where maybe I've had a few drinks, I don't do that anymore, but, you know, you could guarantee that that shift you have is the worst shift you've ever had Mm -hmm. because, you know, you will be dealing with your, you know, that's why pre-hospital is so good because it, it finds your weaknesses and it gives you mm. the most terrifying, terrifying um, experiences you've ever been through. Not not least that there's a patient going through that. So, you know, I think, you know, making sure that you, you slept well, you can, making sure that you've fed, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do it now. I'm not very good. I, I, I try and do a bit of mindfulness. I'm not mm. very good at, uh, I'm not very good at meditation. I, I tend to, especially up here, I'm quite into nature. So I'll see a fruit bat and it'll distract me or I'll see a little bird and it distracts me. But I try and at least, even if it's just having a coffee before the shift and sitting with the dog and just being in nature for a little bit, try and do that. Some people do exercise, running, whatever it is. But I think just getting yourself into that zone, trying not to have screen time. Again, really bad at that. But try not to have screen time. Try not to check your emails and just just going to work with an energy. And then, and then I think, you know, it's good to go in and, Try and be a tiny bit early. Again, uh, sometimes that's not always the case, but try and be a bit early and just have a little walk around. You, you have a feel You have a feel for what the department is when you walk in. And, you know, certain departments I've worked in that, that are all amazing, but really crazy sometimes. You just know, you know, you know what it feels like, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's an atmosphere when it's been a tough shift, you know? Yep. And those are the times where you... You want to be super kind to people, you know, or, or like things like the handover, right? So if, if the team have been up all night, they just want to go to bed. Yeah. It's not a time for teaching no. and asking them loads of probing questions. Let them go to bed. And I've also been on the receiving of that when I'm going, oh, you know, it was alcohol, zero order kinetics. So fascinating, isn't it? And they go, no, it's not. I want to go to bed. So you just yeah. realize you have to let these, you know, you have to do the handover in a kind way. You have to make sure that you know what, what the department's like. And I think starting off in recess, if the recess is empty, you know, then that's a good start. If it's mm-hmm. been a good night, then you can kind of chill. So those are all things, those are all little techniques to get you ready. Um, and then I think it's also understanding, you know, if, you know, you go and people go through stressful lives, you know, they, they have sick relatives or they go through health problems or, um, you know, uh, or, or, you know, even moving house, anything like that, you know, can be really stressful or they could get sealed. You know, all these things are, are big life stressors. And I think, uh, being a, being able to recognize that and open up and speak to colleagues so colleagues can help you through or allow you through you know maybe you know or or maybe maybe you can work in a different part of the department yeah, yeah. that day or whatever do you know what i mean so checking in with the team i i like to buy coffees for the team in the morning i think that's a nice way of you know uh getting them on the same uh, annoying level that i'm at so yeah. giving coffee in the morning <laughs> um but i think just little <laughs> yeah, yeah. but i think little things like that are just you know how you do it and and look don't always get it right sometimes no. um when it's really pressured and busy you don't always have that time to um to teach and educate and train and i do find that frustrating sometimes but the other nice thing, you know, the registrars are amazing. The RMOs are amazing. They're all brilliant. And there'll always be someone in that team that can teach and train people, yep. you know? So um, I think that's the key thing. And also just reminding people really that we have a really privileged job. Our job's amazing, right? There's no other job like it. And, and man, it takes years, right, to get good at it. I used to find it really frustrating. I only felt like I was all right probably about four years ago, maybe six years ago. Um, and that took years and years of training because it's really hard. It takes, it's really hard to learn everything. It's impossible to, to learn everything. Yeah. And it takes years to learn these skills and it's really frustrating. And, you know, but that's what makes it so worthwhile. It, you know, it takes 20 years to get 20 years experience as some wise person once told me. There's no shortcuts in our no, job. That's not. And, and every um, environment's different. And I think that's like, that's why, that's why it's exciting. That's why medicine and 
you know, emergency stuff and pre-hospital stuff, I'm, I would imagine also is very interesting in that, that no case, even when you drill it, it's different. There's always something different mm. that changes, whether that's people or the case mm. itself, the medicine behind it. Um, but I think what you've raised and is awesome, man. Like I, I, I love not being rude. I love people on time. I'm an on-time person. Um, I try to be professional in the way I present myself in terms of the way I talk to patients. Like I always explain things to them and tell them what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I think there's other facets that you've raised then about knowing yourself. Like, you know, I, I, you know, knowing who you are. So for me, I've never, like, I park a bit away from the hospital and I've never got a lift to my, I try not to get a lift to my car because that's my time to think. And I, I walk and I'm a bit of a thinker. So I think about my patients. I think about their pathologies. I'm a bit nerdy. I think about their pathologies and I think what possibly could go wrong. And then for me, I get in 10 minutes early and I look up their case the next day because I'm really inquisitive and I want to know because um, I often get asked as an educator, you know, what happened with that patient? What's going on? Yeah. What Could we have done anything different? Um, and that's a bit of a leadership role where I can reflect and I run a case. So I do a case and a coffee. So I sit in front of the computer and once a week I run through a case, a patient's case that's come through the department and people love yeah. that because I can talk through. Yeah. And I, don't, I say sometimes I don't know what's going on now. They're still here in yeah. ICU. Or yeah, still, yeah. Trying to bring that um, high performance in getting better at stuff, which I think is important. Um, I think that's amazing, dude. I, I think that's yeah. a really important thing as well. And I think, you know, that that has a huge, you will have such a huge impact on so many people, the way that you just approach that. It's such a beautiful thing that ultimately we do it because we really care, right? And that yeah. clearly comes across, man. It comes across so much, you know, that the thought that you put into it and all that is a really beautiful thing. And, mm. you know, and sometimes people forget that. They forget that it's a patient today. And I see, you know, you get really humbled every day. Like I love you know, watching watching the nurses when they interact with patients when they're coming through triage because, you know, it, it, it's really easy when you're stressed and overworked for people to go, oh, it's another drunk person or it's just this or it's that or it's a chest pain. You know what I mean? And and that person's there because they're scared or they're in pain or or they're frightened or they don't feel safe, you know, and, and our job is to welcome them all, you know, and it's, mm. you know, that's what high performance is. And you just see, you know, I love it. I love seeing the staff when they just, they're so kind and compassionate and lovely and, friendly and you just you know and, and that's the beautiful thing you know i've seen that all over the uk and the nhs where i've worked and i've seen it here in australia just you just see that day in day out people really going that extra mile and really just being nice and kind and lovely and that's exactly what you want if you're you know it's your worst day it's the patient's worst day coming in and it, yet for us it's one of 100 patients or 200 patients however many you see and that high performance exactly what you say it's, it's remembering that and mm. you know and i think it's a really beautiful thing and you do get really humble quite often you know there's times when you do where you feel you've let it slip a bit or you're a bit tired and you'll go actually no that's i need to be more like that person today you know and that's a really that's a really lovely thing to see mm. i think um yeah, dude, I love it. I, I think what you've raised is there's so many different aspects to it. And I think we can, I think what I hope from this podcast is that people listening can be aware of little things that they can do in themselves to, to be aware of those little things. And also to realize that high performance stuff is multifaceted. Like you said, it could just be putting a line in. It could just be explaining something to a patient. It could also just be going back to your training and knowledge and going, this patient has a pneumothorax, we need to put in a chest drain, chest drain's out, it's ready to go, uh, local's ready, you know, the team's ready, done, that's done. Um, this patient needs to be intubated, we've gone through an airway checklist, we've gone through our ABCD, you know, approach, done, yeah. that's my training knowledge, done. Um, but then being ready for those things maybe to not go the way they're going to go and what, what would yeah. I do if it changed, what would I do if the pendulum swung the other way uh, and something popped up that I wasn't quite ready for. Um, and I said, I like what you said about being calm under pressure and making good decisions. I think that's really important. Um, one thing I want to say is when, name a time, dude, that you've seen this happen, like a real experience where you feel, um, you know, either you've been calm under pressure or high performance stuff's come up, um, in your clinical, in the clinical field or clinical space. And then I guess how, you know, whether or not it worked well or didn't work well and where you think high performance stuff would have been beneficial. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you, I guess there are lots of different things that shape you as a person and during your career. And, you know, there's definitely been times um, where I think in simple terms, you know, like it, it, when it comes to when it comes to those really sick patients, you know, time is of the essence to a degree. But it's also the skill and experience is knowing when to intervene and when not to intervene. And I think that takes a long time to learn. And you learn that 
you, you learn that the hard way a lot of times. So, you know, I've certainly had cases where, you know, I've arrived to a patient and they're, 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 they're bleeding to death and, you know, you, you, there's been a slight scene delay and you realise that probably they just need blood and to get going, but you've, you know, for me personally, sort of fannied around a little bit too long or whatever, or tried to, you know, focus on an intervention that hasn't gone well and the outcome's not been great, you know, so you learn from that. Uh, I think talk about the flow state, I guess, you know, seeing, being part of and seeing teams where, you know, certain pre-hospital teams, whether it's Sydney or, you know, care flight up here or whatever, where you're, you're training every day to do a certain, certain job that, you know, when you've been doing months and months and months and months of training and working with different people, it all kind of clicks at the same moment. That's a really beautiful thing. Uh, but I also think, you know, it's all relative. Like here, we we see some really major trauma, but not that frequently. Um, so I think the team should be really proud. And I think you see it quite often in the really sick patients. It's those moments where, you know, like, you know, this sort of banter that you have between departments and teams, you know, like, oh, you know, ED, blah, blah, yeah. whatever. But actually in those moments where it's, where the patient's really sick, you actually see people really being amazing and mm. You know, you can see that it's really calm, really quiet. It's like, yeah, this patient needs this, they need this, they need this, and everyone delivers it. I think is really important. Um, we had a we had a needy um, thoracotomy uh, about a month ago here, and, and sadly the the outcome wasn't amazing. But in terms of needing to do what we needed to do, I think you know it couldn't have been better. There was an amazing team leader running it, uh, not me. <laughs> Didn't personally, which is brilliant, doing an amazing job and um yeah and and i think everyone worked incredibly well they did the needful that we um we did the thoracotomy we almost got a return of circulation the patient got up to theater and there was just really beautiful interplay there was you know between the anesthetics critical care ed surgery nursing staff everyone was just amazing and so um it's it's taking that it's taking those moments and learning from it we had a lot of stuff in the debrief that was really interesting I think I love that idea of the cost of coffee and cases that you have. I think mm. the more the more that you're in an environment where you can take time to do that, I think the feedback becomes less confrontational. I think if you know certainly uh, you know certainly in some of the teams that I've worked for, it, it can be quite it can be quite tough the feedback. Mm. Um, but that's in an environment where they're expecting excellence. So you know if your scene time blows out or you you know, you didn't get first pass intubation or whatever, you can be really like held to account and it can be really tough to try and hit those targets. But the nice thing is that, or not the nice thing, the the, the thing about that is that you, your very next shift, you'll be able to to, to, to work on it and, and make it better. Mm. Whereas in, in, in our environment in ED, they're much more sort of, you know, they call them sort of uh, high intensity, but low frequency stuff. You don't always, it may be another month before you're in that situation again. So mm-hmm. it's how you take the learning from those situations. And I think, I think also applying that kindness and compassion to teams, just knowing that everyone's done their best, you know, that, that, that concept, which I, I must admit, I don't really see here, but it does happen sometimes the eye rolling, you know, when a, yeah when one of the crews bring a patient in, they go, oh, what you haven't done a cannula? It's like, guys, 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 do you realize what these guys have done? 100%. You know, they might, might have taken them two hours to, to, to get this patient down a flight of stairs, you know, before they've even thought about doing the medical stuff. So, you know, it's just, it's that, it's that kindness to different teams and knowing that everyone's doing their best, right? And that everyone's trying to do their best. And sometimes things don't always go to plan. Mm. And that's cool. It's, you know, it's different. It's like, You've got to learn from stuff. You can't make a mistake because you've made a mistake and then do it exactly the same the next time. But as long as you're you're learning from things, you know, and I think quite often it's the simple stuff. Mm. You know, it's not it's not being in a good position where you're trying to intubate. It's not being in a good position when you're doing a cannula, whatever. It's normally factors like that that that, that are the key differences of of success. And I think um, it's trying to get everyone on side in that kind of flow state, working towards that dream of a flow state that takes time. So mm. I, I think the nice thing is that the training and skill underpins everything. Yeah. You know, that, that comes to, that comes to a fore. you know, you get to that flow state where, you know, if you're practicing and training and training, when you're, when you're doing an intervention, you kind of one minute you're there and you think, right, we've got to do this. And then you look up and suddenly you've done it. And you're like, oh, wow, where did the time go? Because you've been so task-focused. And you look around, you're like, oh, we've done this. And there's suddenly like 30 people standing around, you know. So I think that's that's the aspirational flow state. And I think yeah. the skill and training is is learning that key thing of 
knowing when to inter intervene and when not to. The classic one being, for example, you know, uh, blunt blunt torso trauma where the patient's bleeding to death. Mm. You know, they just need to be in theatre or via the CT scanner, but they need that intervention. They need blood, they need theatre, uh, and they need a, a seamless pass to get there, okay? Uh, or the hybrid suite, whatever it is. Mm. You know, clearly that patient may is going to need an intubation for that, but if they're non-head injured and they're bleeding, don't waste time in ED doing no. that. Take them up to theatre yep. and do it in theatre. So when you do that RSI, and if that patient crashes, they're already there and the surgeon is there ready with the scalpel. So I think, you know, those are key things and it's really hard and it's really hard to, to know and to learn from that. And certainly pre-hospital, it can be really tough to know if someone's bleeding or not. I mean, yes, we have tools like ultrasound. Mm. Ultrasound is useful in those really critically bleeding patients, you know, the sensitivity and specificity is improved when when there's a when there's really sick patients with a bleeding and you can localize that bleeding to the compartment. Yeah. But more often than not, the ultrasound is either equivocal or difficult, or you've got bright light and it's really hard or you're really stressed. So, you know, you can't rely on these tools and it could be really hard to 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 to, to pick up, you know, whether someone's actually bleeding or whether they're multi-injured and in this kind of SERS inflammatory response state where they're vasoplegic and they're, um, you know, you've got this distributive shock. It can be really hard, you know, and knowing when to intervene. And there's some good studies from UK, only small ones, but uh, Professor Lockie and Kate Crudson did one where they were looking at um, patients who were bleeding to death from blunt trauma with no head injury who had an intubation pre-hospital compared to in-hospital. And they actually found the mortality was much higher uh, almost in almost four times higher in the, the patient group that had a pre-hospital RSI. The reason for that being is that the patient's still bleeding and you're delaying time to definitive intervention. Mm. And you're also giving medications and drugs that are going to affect the blood pressure and everything else. So it's very easy in practice, but that's where the high performance comes in. It's knowing when to intervene. It's knowing mm. when you decompress a chest. It's knowing you know, whether that patient needs blood products. It's knowing those key factors and key interventions that mm. need to happen. And that's really, yeah. teamwork doesn't always work together, but no. there are ways of bringing that teamwork together. And when it, you know, in that flow state, it's really awesome. And, yeah. you know, when people, people are just beautiful in those really, and, and for me, the idea of high performance is taking it in those situations where it's gone beautifully, but taking that into the day-to-day, -day, do you know yeah. what I mean? Simple things like a walk around and saying hi to the guys or, the different yeah. teams from the other wards coming down and saying hi that that for me is that aspirational um team environment that we work in because yeah. we spend and a lot of time in our job we wanted it to be good right we wanted to say as well just like the kind of a science behind as well the high performance stuff that world-class mm -hmm. basics there was a really cool paper published um a few years ago in london where they uh kareem brohi and um, who's who's an amazing trauma sur uh, surgeon from the uk and his team many working in London, but across the four trauma centers in London, and, and they were looking at um, code crimson patients. So the patients who were actively bleeding to death, mm -hmm. and there was probably um, over the sort of eight to 10 year period, there's about 1100 patients or so, 1168, I think, who met the code crimson criteria. So those are the sickest of the sick trauma patients. And when they started looking into that, which was like 2008, the mortality was about 50%. Um, and so he brought in uh, not just him, but the whole team, the whole team, right, that brings all this stuff in, but looking at coagulopathy, looking at um, sort of what different terms we've used over the years about, you know, permissive hypertension and yeah. making sure that we try and replace blood products like for like, you know, FFP platelets, cryo, whatever it is, uh, making sure we don't spend too much time on scene for those patients that are really unwell. Do you know what I mean? Now, all the stuff we've talked about, um, but not only that, the, the, over the years that the crews on scene will will know what the HEMS guys are looking for and what they bring to the scene. So for example, with penetrating trauma, the crews often just start driving to the trauma center. So you'd kind of rendezvous with them because they know, well, look, patient's alive, they've got a stab wound, we need to get them through the scanner. Okay. So get into hospital. But anything happens en route then the crews the, the hems team are ready to step in so the, the education training and all of this stuff governance days all of this underpinning everything is really about everything we've talked about the world-class basics the culture the compassion the drive all of this stuff about meaningful interventions over the 10 years they looked at that in london since they introduced all of this uh, they halved the mortality almost it's like went from like 46 to 27 percent mortality what? in this patient group yeah they've like reduced the um uh the, the the use of blood products by uh you know like a third and they've halved the icu stay it's utterly mind-blowing and that really is mm. is is putting into practice everything we've talked high performance yeah. broadcast basics in trauma um and that's that's mind-blowing right so
Oh, yeah. and also like in closing too, Jamie, just to mention, like I, I feel like I've got a reasonably good read on people. Um, and dude, just, um, I can tell, you know, even though I've never worked with you clinically, but, um, the way in which you hold yourself and the way in which you're yourself and you know yourself, I think that's really powerful. Jamie, it's a pleasure. Um, thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing a coffee with you, dude, and oh. showing me some surf moves. That'd be amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Thank you so much, dude. Thanks for no, a real pleasure. Welcome. Hey legends, how good is Jamie Moran? Um, what a great episode about high performance stuff. I loved it. I love that he brought it uh, and related it back to trauma and resuscitation. It was awesome. Um, and as clinicians, as we listen, there's so many of us that work in high intense environments where we have to bring aspects of high performance. Maybe you've been operating in that high performance mindset and probably didn't even know about it because you're surrounded by other people that are doing it day in, day out. But it's also important to remember that we can fine tune things that we can adjust things, that we can just bring something else a little bit different that can improve it. Um, I love this stuff about culture. I love this stuff about um, just even personally as a human, what you bring individually to the workplace. I hope you liked it. Uh, hit me up a message um, on Instagram or on other streaming services just to let me know that you've listened. Have a great week. You. The EDGM podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land on which this recording is occurring today, the Darawal people, and pay my respects to the elders past, present, and emerging.